guys, this is, I don't know, what are we calling this? Comics Verse Podcast, the Super Pixel Cast. We'll come up with a name and post. This is the Comics Verse Gaming Podcast. My name is Psychotrip. I'm the uh, head writer for the uh, gaming section of ComicsVerse.com. I am George, George Forchuk. My gamer tag is Havoc, though that doesn't matter unless I'm playing with you. I love esports, and I'm one of the staff writers for Comics Verse Gaming Department and videographer for Comics Verse. I'm Josh. I'm the guy who has a stupid accent, uh, which makes me sound, you know, unique because I have to be a special snowflake. Anyway, I also write about video games for Comics Verse. That's like the one thing that unites us. We're all complete and total nerds who can't stop yelling about video games. And today we're going to yell about Stadia because I'm very confused and I don't know how to feel about it yet. For those of you at home listening, and if you don't know what Stadia is, it's basically Google's first foray into the gaming space. It's this cloud streaming service where the idea is basically, you can just click a link and be playing a game within five seconds, in fact. We don't know what the business model will be like, which is one thing we're going to talk about. We don't know how it's going to work in, you know, with the way American internet is and data caps and all that. And we don't know what it's going to do for the concept of game ownership and physical access to video games and things like that. These are all things that could kind of be a good thing, kind of be a bad thing. And I really think it's worth exploring because... If this is the future of gaming, or if it's not, I still don't know if it's a good thing or not. I mean, just to start off, if nobody else minds, I think whether it's good for gaming or not, it's inevitable. It's going to happen, just because even Microsoft has been saying it, and it's been obvious since their last few, like how they've introduced themselves at the last few E3s and GDCs, like they are all heading toward that non-physical copy type of thing and even like they're trying to make the xbox like a streaming service and as it becomes more of an entertainment system and less of a video game console even though sony and nintendo haven't really taken that stride yet it just seems like at least when it comes to like the u.s or the western based video gamers like it seems that's where it's all going like i haven't owned a physical copy of a video game in like since high school you know and i think that considering the data cap thing i think that's the only thing that's going to be slow at first but whether google is successful or not they have so much money and so much power that i think it's going to push these isps into opening up their data caps and just it whether it benefits the average gamer or not, I think you're gonna have different plans that are specific to this streaming console. Speaking of ISPs, I was wondering, what if they use this as an excuse to push Google Fiber all over the place? Well, see, there's a couple things going on here. I feel like, yes, game streaming is the future, but I don't think it's necessarily the whole future. Just like George said, I haven't owned a physical copy of a game in a long time. But I think there's a difference between that, where I still have the data on my console. It's still something that I own or like I still have like some part of it, even if it's just digital, it's on my computer or on my console. Even if I were to piss off Sony, they couldn't take away my game. You know what I mean? So I think there's a big difference between that and this sort of always online streaming service, which I think could be a great supplementary thing 
if it works, and that's the big if, at least in the near future, but I don't see it, or rather, I don't want it to replace the concept of owning a game, whether it is physical or digital. And I think that's kind of where my, I don't want to say skepticism, but a bit of my anxiety comes from. My other issue is kind of what uh, Josh brought up about data caps and and all of that stuff. The United States is not in a situation right now where game streaming could be widespread enough or done efficiently enough on a widespread scale to replace the way we game within the next even five or 10 years. Like, we're just not there yet. And I know that we, like, George, I hear what you're saying about, and kind of Josh to an extent, about how, you know, Google has all this power. They could, you know, grease the wheels necessary to improve the internet in the United States to push this product. But we also need to keep in mind that this isn't the only product that Google is pushing and they still haven't been able to fix the internet in the United States. So I don't know if a gaming platform, even if they're investing a lot of money in it, is going to be the thing that tips the scales. Do you see what I'm saying? I see what you're saying. I think it's not going to be quick. That's obvious. I think there is going to be, I still I still believe there is going to be like a good amount of push. Like, I think when I mention like whether it benefits the gamers or not, I don't think it's going to benefit the gamers in the sense that I totally believe it's there's going to be some lobbyists and shit like that. They're going to work closely with the FCC like, hey, let's open the internet up, up more. Let's create more infrastructure because that means more money for us and we can screw the gamers and only the only like the middle class and upper middle class can afford these speeds and gaming consoles, even though like the system would be free, how many people can really play 8K, you know? And I think that's gonna be a lot of differences with, that's gonna be your tier system, okay. Well, I don't have Google Fiber yet, so I can play 1080p with all my friends on split screen, maybe. And then you have people in New York or certain areas, California, or a nice suburban area that does have Google Fiber, where they can play the 8K and have a bunch of people split screening off of one streaming service or whatever. I think as long as there's some sort of inclusion, I think the number of people that it can reach, if those numbers are all true, is surprisingly higher than what we're led to believe. Even if people are having like the lowest type of, you know, connection speed, I think there's a lot of people that have at least the bare minimum. Well, here's the thing, and this is actually going to be a point in Stadia's favor, if it's true. The whole idea is like, they're claiming it doesn't matter like how shitty your computer is or how they're even kind of claiming it doesn't matter, you know, what your data plan is, but I don't see how that's possible. They haven't really gone into detail about that. But the idea is, I'm quoting the Polygon article right now, no matter how you can click on any link, including a YouTube video link. So I'm assuming that like, if you see a game playing on YouTube, you could click the link because, you know, Google can detect what game it is and you'll be playing that game within seconds. No matter how bad your laptop is on your clunky old PC, your cell phone, your tablet, or your internet connected TV, it's just there. You can jump between multiple devices. Your progress will always be saved. There's no hardware except an optional controller. But yeah, so it's kind of this idea that all of the stuff is being done in-house by Google. Your device is just a window per se. That's kind of like the the vision of what Stadia is. And I mean, that sounds cool. Like, I want to make clear, everything that Stadia is saying sounds really cool. 
I just don't think it can be, nor should it be, the sole future of gaming. And again, that's all assuming that this that this shit is real. We don't know that yet. We haven't seen anything yet. But I want to ask you guys another question about it. There's speculation over whether this service is going to be like pay per game or subscription. I want you guys to tell me first, which one should it be? And which one do you think it will end up being? I mean, I'm not sure which one it sh- I think which one it should be, uh, really, like, sort of depends on your preference. Like, if you only want to play, like, you know, such and such games, really, and you don't want to pay, like, a subscription for games you may not even play, then, you know, that's really boils down to preference. For what it, you know, what it will end up being, I honestly don't know. I mean, to be, like, a Netflix service for games, it would probably, like, you know, Google would have to spend a lot of money on licenses, but, I mean, Google has the money, they can yeah. do that. yeah. Yeah, but uh, I mean, it might be more con- easier for them to uh, like, you know, from a stat- technical standpoint as well, just to just like make it like sort of like Steam in that, you know, you pay for the games you own and it's tied to your account. Yeah, but I mean, a Netflix style for games would definitely like, help set it apart for the competition. So Honestly, I'm going to go, I'm going to put my money on the Gamefly route. Like it's going to be both to where you're going to have people that can pay for an individual game. And then you're going to have people who are willing to go for their subscription, and then they're going to have different tiers of subscriptions, where like a premium service where you have access to this many games at a time, or how long you can play a game, or something like that. Uh, Like, what level of the game can you play? Like, if you have, you know, the data speeds for it, can you play this game in 8K with 16 people, you know? sort of a barring and restrictive system. And it sounds kind of off-putting, but I think that's one of the ways it can definitely be done. Yeah, it sounds very off-putting. It's kind of making me quake in my boots. Personally, I think it will be and should be primarily a subscription service for several reasons. One, again, it would cement it as a supplementary aspect of gaming and not your only way that you'll ever be able to get games. That's why one of the reasons why I think it should be a subscription service, but also because I feel like for the way Stadia seems to be designed, that seems to make the most sense. They're talking about letting you play a game within five seconds of clicking on it. They're talking about any game you see on YouTube, you can click a link and be playing it immediately. That implies there's no like, hey, put in your credit card in between this. I feel like what they're trying to do is create a very smooth transition between seeing something and playing something. And I think that sort of thing can only really work with a subscription model. I also feel like for something like this, where the whole idea is that you can play anything, I'd be okay with paying a subscription. Like if I want just a single game, I'll go out and buy it. But if I want to, you know, play around with a bunch of different things, if I just see something and I want to try it out, I feel like that system makes the most sense well then i feel like the next question is how much would you be willing to pay per month see that's a good question i have no idea man how much do you guys think this is going to cost because this is either going to go the iphone route or like the google glass route where it's like it's either going to be like accessible for everyone and some big new electronic revolution to the way we do something or it's going to be something that's ridiculously expensive, not enough value, and ends up being thrown away. It's going to come down to how well it, like the initial launch. I think it's ex- way more accessible than we're led to believe, just because 
I mean, they've mentioned, you know, we can't always go by their word, but it doesn't seem like it really matters how fast it is. It, you know, you got to have the bare minimum. And then what's being restricted is, you know, oh, well, that person can't play in 8K perfectly. You know, it's not going to be seamless. So they got to play in 4K or they got to play in 1080. So I think the service is more widespread than, say, something like Google Glass. So, yeah, I think it's going to be... But I mean, like, like in terms of route. price, I want a hard number, George and Josh. What yeah. do you think this is going to cost, like, per month if it's a subscription? I'd like to say it depends on what the content they're offering is. I mean, obviously, you know, I don't think they're going to charge, like, you know, 25 bucks a month if it's, like, you know, be- you know, not very good offerings. They obviously have to, like, be offering a hell of a lot to charge that much. But. I would pay $20 a month to play every single game on Steam. And then they raise the price every year for fi- like by five dollars, probably. So it is Netflix. Exactly. That's what I'm expecting. <laughs> it's like, why not? Well, we have a bigger library now, so we're gonna charge more. Here's the agreement. By the way, new terms. It's the beginning of the year. Guess what? We're gonna steal your data. <laughs> you mean they weren't already? <laughs> I feel like how, and and this actually leads us into our next topic, the Epic Store. But I feel like how they roll this out and what they do in the first couple of years will be crucial. If they do, like it took Netflix years to start raising the prices and getting ridiculous to with it because we got so used to the idea of Netflix. And even then people are starting to kind of be iffy with it because their selection's getting worse. So like even then it's not like a perfect method that they're using right now. So like I can't see this being successful if, they either start with the really high price and bad service or if they slowly over the course of like two or three years become a really bad service at a high price. Like I can't see it lasting that long if that's the case. But yeah, that brings us to our next topic. The other group of people that are providing like pretty bad service, but still trying to make you use them. The Epic Store. You guys heard about this shit? Uh, you know, vaguely about it. Like, I know it's uh, I know a lot of people. Are, there's been a bit of a hoo ha because they signed exclusivity deals with several developers that people aren't happy about. Because I know the Epic Store, like you know, compared to Steam, it's kind of shit because uh, it doesn't have a lot of like the basic features Steam has. So it didn't have a search bar until a couple months ago. Really, I didn't know that. I mean, you still can't purchase more than one item at a time. <laughs> like you have to have two different transactions if it's more than one. But Josh, it's so much worse than that. My sweet summer child, it is so much worse. You don't know the half of what they're doing because it would be one thing. It would be one thing, my friend, if there were exclusive deals. That's fine. If like you want to do a timed exclusive, especially if it's a timed exclusive, which is what these are. If you want to do a timed exclusive and that's your way of getting people into the door and you were to tell people that, immediately when the game is announced that it will start out on the Epic Store, that would be one thing. But what's happening is developers aren't telling us that it's coming to the Epic Store first. Not only that, but they're telling us in many cases that it will be coming to Steam and everywhere else at the same time. And then months later, they're changing the deal. And then saying, actually, no, those pre-order copies you made, you're not going to be able to play those for like until months after the game comes out. That's what's happening right now. We're in a situation where they're altering the deal to quote Darth Vader. 
that was one of Phoenix Point. That was one of the game's developers or games that it was. Um, yeah. Also, The Outer Worlds, a game that I'm ridiculously yeah. looking forward to. If you guys don't know what The Outer Worlds, it's basically the next like a cross between a Bethesda style game mixed with like a Knights of the Old Republic or Mass Effect style game. And it's made by the original creators of Fallout. So, you know, not Bethesda. Yeah, and the makers of the original Fallout and Fallout New Vegas. So, I mean, it's looking great. It's looking like the perfect merging of a very deep role-playing game with very modern mechanics. And that's what I've been looking for. That's what a lot of people have been looking for. Yeah, but that exclusive is exclusivicity, right? Exclusivity, my friend. Exclusivity deal (laughs) that they announced recently definitely cut a lot of people deep, though. But see, here's the thing, George. Because, again, it gets worse up until the day that they announced that it was going to be a a timed epic store exclusive the developers were in the process of making steam achievements it's pretty clear the developers didn't know this was going to happen i can't say this is 100 but based on what we know it seems like the publisher pulled the rug out from under them Oh yeah, I think it's obvious to most people what's happening. It's the publisher getting a sick deal by having their game on the Epic Store exclusively for a year. And the money must be really good because yeah, most people hate it. And you're going to hate me, but they're pretty smart moves. And I don't hate or love Epic and I'm going to get flack for it, but I think they're, they're playing it smart right now. I think they're actually real competition and I think they're winning honestly, because Steam isn't doing enough to fight back. And I think even Steam in its humble beginnings was shit. Yeah. And let me be clear on something. I hate Steam. Steam is terrible. I (laughs) want there to be a better replacement to it. And honestly, I think that Epic has a chance of eventually becoming the replacement for Steam. I have no problem with that. If anything, I encourage it. My issue is I don't think this is a smart business move. Because again, that's why I transitioned to this from Stadia, because I think it is a situation where they are coming out of the gate with bad consumer will. Like it's one thing for a company to do this after they've ensnared you, after you can't go anywhere. It's kind of like, I mean, to bring it back to Google, it's kind of like YouTube. YouTube can do whatever the fuck they want. We can't do anything about it because there's no way for anybody else to compete with it. It, The Epic Store is early enough in its lifespan that they're not powerful enough. They don't have enough of an entrenched audience to pull shit like this. And what this is doing, it's creating a negative reputation immediately out of the gate. It's making consumers associate the Epic Store with that annoying thing that they have to use instead of Steam because they're being forced to. It's kind of like with Origin or Uplay. Like in those cases, both of those are like moderately successful now, but they're they're not nearly at the level of Steam. And those things weren't nearly as malicious as this. So I feel like very often the evil thing is the right thing for business. I don't think that's the case here. I think they're shooting themselves in the foot. I think that Fortnite (laughs) is huge enough to where as much as I would say it's enough because of just because of that player base. Epic doesn't care and they're making this move. 
whether it's right or wrong. I'm kind of still leaning on the side that because of their player base and how big of an audience they have, and also not even just the game, the gamers, but like in the media, like how big they are. Like, I honestly think they're at a point where it doesn't matter what they do. As long as people are yelling at them to change things and they make some changes, I don't think they have to back down yet. I think that's just me though. I think that they fully have the power just because of how big their one game is. Not one game, but you know, but their main game. Not to make fun of Fortnite players, because I love Fortnite, are they even old enough to matter when it comes to digital distribution? Like, yes, they're playing the game, but they're not really the drivers of the credit card in these situations. And also Fortnite is free. So I mean, like, I don't know if that is enough to, and even if it is, you're kind of describing Steam's folly as well. Like, oh, we have, you know, Half-Life 2, we have Portal. Like, those games were super fucking huge back then and it drew people towards Steam. And now we see Steam in its current state, this overbloated mess. Like, I don't know, I guess is what I'm saying. I don't think it's as clear cut as this is definitely a good move for them. I do see your point though. Yeah, whether they're, yes, uh, Fortnite's free game, but there's so many people already on it in the sense that it's there, it's in people's faces, it's in millions of people's faces. And I think influencing that in some way gives you some sort of backing, even if they're not using money. And I guarantee most of those kids are using money, even though it's not theirs usually. That's true. There's something there, there's a market there, and they are spending money. But like, again, like, let's look at Origin, for example, that's owned by EA. EA doesn't have a single game that is as big as Fortnite is right now, but together they do. And like, where is Origin now? Where is Uplay now? Yes, they're moderately successful, but again, they're not the juggernaut that is Steam. And that's even without creating a bunch of bad will out of the gate. I mean, you could argue that there was a bit of bad will, especially with Origin at the beginning, but like, I don't think it's on this level of open maliciousness. Josh, you be the tiebreaker here. I guess, you know, I'm going to be the boring option and say, you know, like, we'll have, I'm not sure whether it's, uh, you know, a good op good move or a bad move. I mean, obviously, I think this, you know, the one good thing about all this bad press is that it is press. Because, I mean, I didn't know anything about the Epic Game Store until I heard this whole hoo-ha about it. So, uh, I mean, that might just be me not following it. But, you know, you know. Zane doesn't now believe in negative press. <laughs> yeah. no, I don't believe that all publicity is good publicity. Like George and I have had this conversation before. Like that's been like a meme for so long. And that meme kind of died at the birth of Twitter. And this isn't just me saying a lot of stuff I say is just me talking bullshit based on what I think. This is actually based on like market research and shit. The, the whole all publicity is good publicity that was true, but that was back before there was so much of an oversaturation of information everywhere. Back in the day, PR and marketing was about teaching people that a product exists. Now, PR and marketing is about shaping the perception of the product. Most people know these things exist. Now, obviously, like Joss, like there's always going to be exceptions. Like Joss didn't know much about the Epic Store. That's fine. But at some point, you probably would have figured it out. The initial marketing, I don't want to say it's done for them because it's not, but it is not like it was back in the day where there was no way you would know about a product unless you saw a commercial on your black and white TV 
or your neighbor Nancy told you about it. That's not the world we live in anymore. Now yeah, market fair. marketing is about shaping perception, not giving people knowledge, shaping the perception of that knowledge into something positive. I feel like you're right, but in the extremes, yes, it doesn't work. Fucking Logan Paul suicide forest thing. That's the extreme. That's him losing monetary value, you know? But I think, I'm trying to think of like a good example. I think, crap, I might be- Another extreme example is the THQ 8chan disaster. Oh God, don't get me that started. That was fucking hilarious. How do you not know? But yeah, I see what I, I see what you're saying, George. Like it's I can agree with that. When it's extreme, it's bad. And I guess the question is, is this something that we're gonna look back on and say this was extreme, this was annoying enough to piss people off and kind of make them not like avoid the epic store, but not make it their primary choice? Cause like right now, aside from the malicious stuff they're doing, we don't have a reason to use the Epic Store as our main thing. Because again, they didn't have a search bar until like a month ago. You can't purchase multiple items at a time. Like, it's just not a good value. So I don't know. Like, Well, that's the thing. I think we're not going to know until that first exclusive comes out and we see the numbers. And I, Outer Worlds is probably the biggest one right now. Um, Speaking of the Outer Worlds which, uh, like I said, is an RPG, a very deep RPG, or at least it seems to be, that merges the very old-school depth of classical isometric role-playing games with the modern trappings of, you know, a modern RPG. Let's talk about VTMB2, Vampire the Masquerade's Bloodlines 2. I'm fucking hyped for this, guys. I am so hyped. What do you guys know about Vampire the Masquerade? And be as broad as possible. Vampire the Masquerade is part of the world of darkness. It is a modern fantasy role-playing universe from like, God, I think the, the 80s or 90s originally. It's very old, very beloved, very well known. It's a kind of like a gothic meets like punk universe where, you know, there's vampires, werewolves, and wizards running around. And their most popular, I believe it's, yeah, it's almost certainly their most popular aspect of the World of Darkness franchise is called Vampire the Masquerade. It's pretty much what it sounds like. It's about playing as a vampire, belonging to different clans that give you vastly different gameplay experiences, and just living your life as a newly created vampire. It normally takes place in LA, for example. So it's just this wild ass, really cool universe. And after, God, I don't know how many years, they are finally making a sequel. Because, like I said, along with it being a role play, like a tabletop role play, they made a video game called Bloodlines. Now, the thing that made Bloodlines so interesting is, like I keep alluding to, it was a deep RPG experience. Based on, like, there are so many stats, but they're still intuitive and make sense. There are so many vastly different gameplay styles, but they all feel balanced and giving you a different experience. It's the perfect marriage of old school RPG 
and new school efficiency. Let me give you an example. At the beginning of the game, you choose the clan that you were bitten by. One of the clans is basically your Twilight vampires. Not literally, this is before Twilight, but it's, they're your sexy vampires. They're, they have need to turn off half the audience. Hey, just keep, keep going. Just follow me here. So this clan is your sexy vampires. They have super high charisma. They can persuade anybody. They're the artists, the poets, the musicians, all that, you know, wishy-washy shit. If you play as them, you will have a vastly different experience from the Nosferatu's. That's not what they're called, but that's basically what they are. Nosferatu, that really old, ugly vampire, that's what they're based off of. You literally cannot play the game remotely the same way if you're one of them, because the whole thing about Vampire the Masquerade is the masquerade. The vampires hide from humans. Regular people don't know they exist, and it's basically the only law that they have. Don't let mortals know you exist. So in the original Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines, if you were playing as these hideous goblin-like monsters that crawled on all fours, it was basically a stealth game. <laughs> you had to like hide in sewers. This clan, they're basically like the intelligence gatherers because they're always like, you know, in ducking in vents or in the sewers or on the computer, like hacking shit because they can't go out in public. So what do you do? So just from that one decision that you have made, and there are many, many more, you have created a completely different gameplay experience. And that's the beauty of Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines. And the fact that they're making a sequel really gets my dick wet. I don't know if I can say that on a podcast. That just came out. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, just make sure you charge for that press release. <laughs> that was a lot. <laughs> it's so funny. People say I'm so negative about games. And then I say hey, gotta, shit like this. You gotta find your baby, right? That's your baby. And then I say shit like this. And yeah, people cool. think I'm a shill. So I, yeah, like, awesome. I was just going to say, but that's just how I am. I'm a very excitable person. And if I'm praising something, I hope that like, I don't want to say that means a lot, but I hope it means something to somebody because I am very willing to call things out as being shit when I think they're shit. Yeah, so you I make guess that's sense. what I'm saying. Like when I'm frothing at the loins over a video game, that's at least a big deal for me. Or the loins of the character I'm making. And yeah, I do play as the Twilight Vampires. <laughs> I was going to say that what you describe is like the forums of GaiaOnline.com where you make the ultimate vampire werewolf fantasy and then as I'm going into my 30s, like it immediately just all goes into the bedroom. What is Gaia Online? I accidentally muted know? myself because I was uh, laughing. That long. brings me way back. <laughs> you can keep the laughs. It's it made me sound like an asshole. <laughs> Gaia Online is an English-based anime-themed social networking and forums-based website. Jesus Christ, kill me now. Yeah. Fuck this yeah. is this yeah. is yeah. high school for me. I wasn't a member of that, God but I knew of it. His flock. <laughs> I-N-F-R-I-T-V on, like, on Gaia Online You can find all my forums From middle school and high school I am yes, so going I, to do this I did have an avatar and I was a werewolf by the way You know what since we're telling embarrassing Vampire based stories I have been obsessed with vampires Since I was a very small child I was a vampire I was some variation of vampire Almost every single Halloween up until I was like 12. I just saw someone 
tweet like they just watched Interview for the Vampire with a vampire for the first time and that it wasn't gay enough. <laughs> I was confused a little. Well, I mean, your cup runneth over if you're looking for homosexual vampire stuff. I mean, just watch True Blood. You can watch anything. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I guess that might be the comparison. It might be the it might be the age gap. I also unfortunately watched True Blood and enjoyed it for longer than I care to admit. Hey, Southern vampires, they got it. It was so freaking cool at first, but we're getting off topic. Damn it! <laughs> vampire the Masquerade bloodlines too i'm hyped for it we don't know a lot yet but they released a snazzy trailer honestly it could end up being shit i just gotta be fair it could end up being shit but based on what little we know who we know is behind it and the reputation of this franchise i'm looking forward to it deeply i mean i can relate i'm hyped for metroid prime 4 and like we know nothing about it other than that it exists uh other than that, it's a Metroid Prime game, so how yeah. are they going to fuck it up? Well, don't speak too soon. <laughs> yeah, don't make me bring up that other game. So. Yeah. I, I, I was about to say, as long as it's not that... What was that Metroid Federation Force? As long as it's not Federation Force... Oh, oh wait, you no. Know, the, you were thinking of... Oh, no. That. Oh, the baby. I mean, you can screw yeah, up Fox, you don't. can screw up Metroid. Josh was talking about the baby, also known as Metroid Other M, where Samus goes from a strong, badass, like one of the first and coolest female video game characters to a, a scared little girl crying about a baby and unable to use her powers until her man tells her that she can. God, that oh, game. Is that why people hated it? I, I, I know. Yes. Oh, that's one of many. It. Oh, yeah. my God. It was the worst example of, like, you know, people talk about, like, how, like, the West can screw up, like, Eastern games, like how, like, Devil May Cry was fucked up or how Silent Hill Downpour was fucked up by a Western studio, like, stuff like that. This was an example of the worst of Eastern culture ruining an Eastern game. <laughs> Yeah, that's, that's really much. funny. Like, it wait, turned... did they have like an explanation for this or what? No, it was no. just like they just it, wanted to have a deeper character and it turned into shit. That's exactly what it was. I think it, I'm not like that clued into the Samus, um, to, like the Metroid verse, but I believe it was one of the first games where there was like a big story focus and Samus had a lot of character development aside from being like a mostly silent protagonist who's just a badass and this is what they did with it they made her this like cute anime girl who like this woman has almost eradicated the entire Metroid species and yet she's like crooning over this Metroid baby and wants to make sure it's safe give me a fucking break and also too bro <laughs> Fuck that shit. And also, you know, I don't know if you know this, but in most Metroid games, just as a game mechanic, kind of like in Devil May Cry, when you start the game, you start from like level zero, basically. You don't have any of your weapons from the last game. You you don't have that many. Yeah, it's, it's again, it's kind of like Devil May Cry in that sense. But yeah, that's not necessarily like canonical. It's just like the game mechanic. But in Metroid Other M, they decided to insert that into the story in the worst way possible. Samus's commanding officer, not even, the person who used to be her commanding officer, because now she's the mercenary, is telling her when she can use her weapons. Samus would rather die than not listen to her man and do yeah. it 
what the most- he tells her to do. And that is such an Wait, is it actually her man? They have again like they have worst thing? again like worst of anime culture. He is a weird cross between her father and her boyfriend. Daddy issues, got it. They, ins- they insert that yeah. as well. Yeah, and with regards to the whole, uh, you know, not using uh, powers until her man gives her the authorization, there was like the most egregious example of this is when she's in like a hostile environment, like, you know, like very high temperatures and whatnot, and she needs to use her Varia suit to not burn alive, but she refused to use it until he gives her the authorization, which he takes his fucking time doing, so. My God. I love how this is supposed to be a news podcast and you were talking about an almost 10 year old <laughs> Metroid game on the fucking Wii, but I don't give a damn. This is separate news in the beginning, and then yeah, (laughs) this is the discussion section because that shit sucked. But yeah, I highly recommend anybody listening to this to go to YouTube and type in Metroid Other M movie because (laughs) they were so confident, they were so confident in their story that they thought that they decided to put in a movie mode, which was just the cutscenes, So you can see all of the riveting emotional drama of Metroid Other M. And I also highly recommend you look up the Super Best Friends version of that, where they comment, they're a YouTube Let's Play group, and they comment over the, the movie. And it's some of the funniest commentary ever. It's some of the most harsh criticism of the game I've heard. It's great. Listen to it. Like some mystery science theater stuff. Yeah, kind of. But yeah, what well, else? Wow, that is, just, is. I mean, I was just thinking of like the Star Fox. What was that dinosaur game that they had? Uh, Star, Star Fox, Fox Adventures. Adventures. That actually was a fun game. Actually, it just wasn't a good. You know, as a Star Fox game, I can see why people didn't like yeah. it. Yeah. You know, if it were like a Zelda game, I think people would have liked, or like, you know, just if it was Dinosaur Planet, like it originally was, and it didn't have the Star Fox label slapped on it. Like, I think it would actually, honestly, would have been a pretty good game on its own merits. It's so funny to me when that happens to games. It doesn't happen that often anymore, I don't think, but there was a time when you could make an entirely original IP and some suit could walk in and just put a Star Fox sticker on it. Like Doki Doki Panic. Probably never heard of Doki Doki Panic, have you? I know yes, of you it have, precisely for the Mario reason you're 2. about to say. Yeah, Yeah, Josh knows. It's Super Mario 2. When Super Mario, I think it was Super Mario World 2 or Super Mario, 2, Super Mario Brothers 2, when that game came out, Western people were like, what the hell is this? It's a completely different game. It was like as much of a departure as like, the original Legend of Zelda was to Zelda 2. It actually no, it wasn't, wasn't a bad ser- game, yeah. Yeah, I've heard that. I've heard, it has its problems, but I've heard it wasn't that bad. Yeah. If you're talking about Zelda 2. It was released as Super Mario Bros. 2 in the US because the actual Super Mario Bros. 2, the Lost Levels, as it's called here, was uh, considered too hard for us puny Western brains to understand. So. And that's kind of ironic because I think Doki Doki Panic, the game that it actually was, was also really hard. So it kind of backfired in a sense. But yeah, Westerners were confused when the second Mario game came out and it was some completely different thing. Oh, the only thing, this is a fun fact. One of the only things that carried over from that game were the Shy Guys. That's where Shy Guys come from. They don't even come from Mario. Cause in Doki Doki Panic, 
all of the monsters, like it had nothing to do with Mario. It was completely different. So there were all of these weird monsters. I think in... Birdo may have came from there as well. Uh... I don't know if Birdo did, but I know the Shy Guys did. Because in Super Mario Brothers 2, there were all these, everybody was like, what are these things? Where's the Goombas? Where's, you know, Bowser? Was all that shit? It was because it was another game. And I guess they just liked the Shy Guys so much. And I mean, I love Shy Guy. He's fucking adorable. So I guess they decided to carry him over. But yeah. That's nice. At least you get something out of it. One disappointment, but a you know a little uh, silver lining. At the point where we're talking, like we started talking about a ten-year-old game, now we're talking about a thirty-year-old game or a twenty-year-old <laughs> game or something. I think this is the time to stop. I think it's time for us to wrap up. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, yeah um, other quick things you want to bring up? Any commentary, any stuff you heard of in the news or what? Not pertaining to video games. The Our Blacks thing that Xbox said. Wait, <laughs> Did what? Did you say about that? <laughs> Wait, say that again? They tweeted something out and it's really funny. They tweeted something. Well, this is a bit. This is a big thing to end with. Did you hear about the uh, Apple Arcade? Uh? Apple Arcade? Yeah, hang on. Let me just... Let me guess. You look it up, but let me guess. They're making a big, sleek-looking, minimalist arcade where it's all just their app games. Their shitty Candy Crush games on full display. If only. <laughs> Basically, just some of the examples. This week at GDC 2019, our Blacks at Xbox Community awarded the 2019 Jerry Lawson Grants for Career Development. And it goes on. Like, what? The whole thing is, just look at it. It's Blacks at Xbox. What? <laughs> George, this is a part where you tell me this was a typo or out of context. No, but and there's I don't more tweets, mean. bro. There's more tweets. A note from the Blacks at Xbox team. In 2015, we formed Blacks at Xbox as a way of connecting with one another across Team Xbox. We wanted to create a community to support each other and uplift the Black community within the gaming industry. If you want oh. to learn more about the Blacks at Xbox community, visit us at xbox.com/community/blacks. How? Unfortunate. Because, <laughs> like, because now that you spell it out, I'm like, okay, that I can see that. Like, you know, like, like minorities are underrepresented in you know gaming and stuff like that. That's a it's cool thing. It's coming from someplace wholesome. It's coming from a wholesome place. Well, no, I lied, the because wrong that, it's, name. It's coming from someplace that's easily pandering to like a specific you know thing to like oh we're we're we really care about uh having diversity and other bullshit let's look at this i try not to throw shade and stuff like that because you don't know like what their actual goal is and but they definitely didn't read this they definitely did before tweeting it (laughs) this is like an al roker style like sweet potato poon style gap (laughs) y'all remember that right al roker's mother's sweet potato poon Sweet it was all game. over like that news that I can't remember what the news show is called that really like popular news show like Good Morning or something. Good Morning America. Yeah, Good Morning America. Yeah, around Thanksgiving, Al Roker was giving away like this apparently very delicious recipe for like a sweet potato casserole that his mother made, and apparently no one told him no. I mean, apparently no one sat him down because the name. Something that he said over and over again, something that was <laughs> scrolling across the Chiron, something that was tweeted everywhere and put on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook, everywhere. Al Roker's sweet potato poon. It has marshmallows. <laughs> oh, it's a silver so. lining at least. <laughs> okay, 
the less we talk about Al Roker's poon, the better. So let's end this. Well, I'm a little more curious, but whatever. (laughs) Guys, it's been fun. Justin, if you're listening, we're sorry. We'll do better next time. (laughs) (laughs) If you're listening to this, check us out on commentsverse.com. That's www.commentsverse.com. There we have all sorts of gaming content. We do deep dives into different aspects of gaming. We have gaming news over there. And check out Comics Versus as a whole. We talk about, you know, video games, movies, comics, internet culture, all that good stuff for you. So this has been the, I guess we're calling it the Super Pixel Cast. Do you like that name, guys? Super Pixel Cast 64 Advance. Okay, now you're just mocking me. (laughs) This has been the Comics vs. Gaming Podcast. And see you next time.